Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 61, or if you're on them, their podcast platform, season three, episode 21 of Music is Not a Genre. Each week I take a release or several from my collection. I talk about them, I discuss uh, various aspects, and I give you my take on them and throw in some interesting tidbits and, uh, and asides and whatever, and I connect them to my music, to other music, and to other things in the world. Uh, thank you to everyone who has uh, who is listening and, and watching right now, who has clicked and read and subscribed and shared. And anyone who is a Patreon patron, especially, thank you very much. Your support uh, means a lot and helps me do everything I do. This week, uh, because we're in the CD collection, so... Uh, you know, I was at a point where I could just go and buy the things that I, that were my favorites, even if I already had them in another format. I talked about that in another podcast where, man, reissues really bolster the music industry, especially during tough times, uh, but really always. And so we're going to end up hitting these favorite bands of mine more often than we did with um, vinyl or even with cassette. And, uh, you know, so this week... It's, if you, you, those of you can see, can already see, and if you cannot, if you're listening, it is Violent Femmes, and the, the title that I've given here, a little twist, the spin, is Violent Femmes and Gender Duality, Bands with Perfect Names. That's a lot to throw into a title. There's a lot of ideas there, but, you know, my whole point is to, like, connect things with other things. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing, right? So, you know... I I didn't know this, but that's why you do research, right? Violent fem band names are are tricky. Names in general are tricky. I love naming things. Naming things, it's one of my I think specialties. It's one of my favorite things to do. Is whether it's to name a song or an album or you know a podcast or anything like that. Finding just the right name is is excellent sometimes those names come right away you're like oh that lyrics the title of the song or that idea is the title of the podcast or essay or what have you um any of those things but often and maybe more often than not it takes some trial and error right so uh that did not that had that has happened with a ton of bands some extremely famous bands, and we're going to do something a little fun. Once we're done talking about the Violent Femmes and the, and the ideas that I put forth in that title, uh, we're going to end this podcast with a little list of uh, famous bands who started out with different names 
And um, I'll give it like a second pause, maybe, you know, see if you can guess the band before I get to the end, because some of them have more than one name, even before they got to their last one. That said, Violent Femmes didn't. They nailed it on the first try. And the funny thing about that is, and I think a good lesson, is that it was a joke. I think Brian Ritchie, one of the founders, was was talking to somebody and it had something to do with his brother being in a band and and the guy asked, you know, what's the name of the band? And he just out just off the top of his head, Violent Femmes. And this was around nineteen eighty or so, so it was the post punk era when things still had, you know, that kind of edge to them with a little twist and you know, uh that I mean it it kind of captured that moment and that era extremely well, but more so than that, and what they didn't know at the time, because it was started out as a joke, which they decided to say, hey, that sounded pretty good, let's keep it. He and Victor DiLorenzo, um, uh, the drummer, he said, they said, well, they said, let's keep it. And what they didn't know at the time was it would end up being the perfect name for the band, um, which is part of the title here, Bands with Perfect Names. It's the idea that once you find that name that somehow embodies the work you're doing, sometimes you're a band who is living up to that name and you're kind of filling out the meaning of that name and that's a cool way to do it. And other times the material you already have fits that name. That's where the name comes from. But either way, it's this kind of perfect synergy. And that didn't happen right away. I mean, the band was the band, but... They weren't really Violent Femmes until I think it was maybe a year later in 81. They discovered Gordon Gano, the lead singer and principal songwriter uh, and guitarist, actually playing at a, at a high school concert. He was being inducted into the National Honor Society. And I don't know where they saw him play. It wasn't there because they ended up, I believe, playing with him for that. And it was some scandal or what have you. Um, uh, what's his name? Elvis Costello went on to uh, Saturday Night Live to play one song and decided to play another one at the last minute and got into a ton of trouble um, because it was more, it was a more scandalous song for whatever reason. And Gordon Gano did that at this high school function. He had written some other nicer song, let's say, and then they decided to play Give Me the Car at the last minute, and they st- I think they stopped the performance or something like that. But the point being, they gelled as a trio, and the songs that he was singing kind of really fleshed out the, the name of the band. And he had nothing to do with naming the band, so it's kind of incredible that it all worked out that way. You have that kind of you know, what seems like a loosey-goosey but very bare-bones instrumentation of the uh, acoustic bass, uh, upright bass, um, and uh, sometimes the, uh, you know, the regular acoustic bass, and a, an acoustic guitar, and then drums, but the drums were mostly just a snare. For the longest time, there was not even a kick drum, so there would be the three, three of them standing up, playing, even the drummer, and that was it. That was like the total instrumentation for, like I said, for the longest time. And that kind of rawness came from punk, but it was post-punk because it put a little spin on it. They've often called uh, the Femmes folk punk. Um, there's a kind of a Southern Southern Gothic punk to them too, which I talked about in another um, 
in another podcast that had to do with the femmes, but for a different reason, back when I was doing vinyl. And then you have Gordon Gano's lyrics where his he's got that kind of nasal, uh, very matter-of-fact delivery to his vocals that is, you know, in some ways kind of whiny, but also very vulnerable. It's very personal. It's not trying to put on anything. He's not trying to vocalize. He's just singing out of his mouth. The, in, in, you know, the impression is the words are just coming off the top of his head or from his, you know, psyche, some from somewhere inside. And there's no barrier between those thoughts and the people listening. It's just that that voice just kind of, you know, lets it happen without trying to create something out of it. And the lyrics are sensitive and they're painful and they're awkward, um, but they they don't have... Uh, which, you know, lyrics have been that for a long, long time, but they, they, again, don't have that artifice to them, but they also don't have that kind of defensiveness that a lot of bands feel they need to put on lyrics that are sensitive. Well, let's do sensitive lyric and let's, you know, rock it out or what have you, um, you know, macho it up. Th that did not happen. And so, you know, there's precursor to that. In fact, I think in, in a lot of ways, um, if you listen to Velvet Underground, early Lou Reed and all of that, um, you can hear an influence there. Uh, but the way it was done was, you know, by the Violent Femmes, how they did it was very new and, and very, very raw. And it, it combined being aggressive you know, there was some screaming. And if, if you remember the, you know, kiss off where he's doing the, the counting and by the end of the counting, he's screaming everything, everything. But but the words that are being said, very vulnerable. Uh, one of the other, I think it was Victor DiLorenzo, I think is quoted as saying he, he basically was describing what almost all adolescents go through, that kind of the, the, the pain that, that vulnerable emotions can be very uh, volatile. And that kind of combination of volatile and vulnerable, uh, uh, angry and, and pleading, you know, hard and soft, really to me, and without me even knowing at the time, and they probably certainly didn't really think of it that way, it blurred the line between what we what we usually consider to be masculine traits and, and feminine traits and which, you know, their, their ability to do that and do it without apology and without artifice and without trying to make it into, you know, all hard, all soft, what, what have you, or, or hide the words in some way and just being kind of a complete human, just kind of called bullshit on the whole idea of, well, this is masculine, this is feminine, or, if you still believe in that and that there is this kind of, you know, distinction that every person is a duality. So that's where the, you know, I come, you know, gender duality is that idea. Um, it's built right there in the name of the band and it's built into the, the way they did the songs, uh, both uh, in terms of uh, the arrangement, instrumentation and lyrically. And that's, that's been and has it's been a huge huge influence and the funny thing is um i have the albums right here for people who can see that first album came out in 83 and it you know critically was fine but didn't really start to hit until a few years later which is actually when i discovered them and now i understand why right 
and then since then, I mean, that that album is the classic. But those first really five albums to me, that's their sweet spot. That's their that that's the period where they could almost do no wrong. And they were still they were experimenting and branching out and doing various different, you know, styles within their folk punk style uh, and, and never really dropped the ball on that. And, you know, let me just go through real quickly before we get to any, you know, anything else. Uh, it's just a quick rundown because I don't need to be the historian here. You can look all this up. Um, but I, what I will say is, yes, so this first album, Violent Femme, eponymously named, um, has Blister in the Sun, Kiss Off, Please Do Not Go. Not as famous, but let me tell you, just listen to it. Add it up, Confessions, Prove My Love, the whole first side. Insane how good it is. But then the second side, you've got Promise. You've got Gone, Daddy, Gone. You've got uh, Good Feeling, which a lot of people wouldn't know, but if you know the album, awesome song. And then that song, Give Me the Car, that I mentioned. Now, the second album is Hallowed Ground. When I discovered that, I have it on vinyl as well, I was like, this band is going to sink right into my soul. I mean, it's got Country Death Song, I Hear the Rain, and... Never Tell. And I'm going to put a link to my performance of Never Tell in this because it's a song that I think might be my favorite of theirs and also inspired me to write a song by the same name that is only kind of spiritually connected. It doesn't sound the same at, at all, but I wanted to use that um, that name, you know, the title, as kind of in honor of them. Uh, Jesus Walking on the Water is another interesting one. Uh, this one, the blind leading and naked. These first three are really the they're the ones, right? They're they're you you can do no wrong in the first three. I mean, old Mother Reagan is kind of funny. Breaking hearts, um, candlelights on Heller in my arms, the children of the revolution, which I think is a cover. Heartache, Cold Canyon, um, not as well known, but you can listen to these three albums back to back to back and and be fully fully satisfied. And then their fourth album was called Three. And I don't have that on uh, CD, or if I do, actually, I think I do, and I just couldn't find it. I really need to organize. I have it on vinyl as well, and there's some really cool stuff on there, and that's really where I think they even explored more of kind of the countryish, like folk, uh, southern gothic kind of thing, which they did a little bit on some of these other ones too. Um, and then you have, oddly enough, their most successful album with their most successful signal, single. Um, it's the album uh why do birds sing and you've got american music that's that's the big one uh i did a i did a performance of that too when i did the, my tribute concert to them uh they did a version of um culture clubs do you really want to hurt me which was actually a really good version um so many out the window really funny song uh you you've got to listen to this one too if you haven't and then they, you know, continued, and the, there's an album called New Times, which uh, came out uh, in 94. So this kind of passed that, that, that kind of prime area. And then you have an album called Rock, and then an album called Freak Magan. And there is a song on each one of these that I kind of remember that kind of, you know, uh, the, there's always something good on everything they do. And then um, I put this up here because... At that point, they kind of broke up for a little bit. And so Gordon Gano did a sing, uh, solo album called Hitting the Ground, where he wrote all the songs, but he collaborated with people like freaking uh, PJ Harvey and Lou Reed and John Cale, Linda Perry, Frank Black, 
They Might Be Giants. And some awesome collaborations on here. So look it up, Hitting the Ground. The other two albums of theirs, uh, they didn't release till much later, 2016, 2020. Yes, they released an album last year. And it was very good because they're still together. They're still doing their stuff. And they're called We Can Do Anything and Hotel Last Resort. I only have them digitally because, as you know, after <laughs> 2010 or 11, I pretty much just stopped buying CDs. But I know them all, listen to them all. There's something awesome on every single one of them. So I you know, recommend exploring them. Um, I certainly did. There are certain songs that I sing uh, even to this day where my delivery is very similar to Gordon Gano's. I don't necessarily have the same exact voice, but I can get to that point. And I do a fairly good imitation of them uh, sometimes. But as far as my own songs go, there's that kind of off-the-cuff delivery that uh, you can put on a voice, which is wonderful too, but to be able to sing the way you speak is its own kind of talent. And I feel like probably more than anyone he's not the only one but probably more than anyone I got that from him you know and a lot of bands uh who listened to Violent Femmes uh subsequently felt like they were kind of given permission to explore sensitive themes without apology to explore uh being awkward and weird and not have to hide it and you know so when I was writing and trying to write things other than, you know, pop music or angry music or the things I might have been comfortable with at the time or brooding music. And I was writing something that's a little more, uh, you know, I guess awkward and vulnerable. I would look to bands like Violent Femmes, The Cure, to kind of give me permission, you know, and, and a guidance as to, as to say, yes, you can do that. Do it your own way or do it our way, however you want to do it, but it's there for you to do. And they did it well. And, you know, two of the songs that I'm going to pull out as representative of that is an old song of mine called You Can't Touch Me uh, from an album called Listen You People. The link's there at the bottom. Uh, you know, if you can't find it, it's on YouTube, on the Rec YouTube channel, You Can't Touch Me, uh, Nick, from Listen You People. I It'll probably pop up if you search for it, but click the link. It's easier. And you'll get that sense. I think you'll hear the influence. And then a more recent song off of last year's uh, rec album, Sympathy for the Weird, Lost Found. Really, a couple of songs on that album really have that kind of, you know, vulnerable lyric with unadorned music and um, no apology about, you know, being sensitive and that kind of thing. And so those are two that I think bear the influence of the Femmes. Um, uh, do you know the Femmes? If you don't, where have you been? Uh, did they mean anything to you or were they before or after your time? I don't know. They're actually, you know, have been of many, many eras times because they're one of those bands that almost always pops up in college, no matter when you go to college. Um, cause I know people of college age and, and, uh, they have listened to the Femmes. They're just one, it's kind of like the college catalog and they're included in that. But if you grew up first run, first hearing, it probably means even more to you. Uh, and like I said, they've now been at it for 40 years. There have been breaks in between, and the drummer is a different drummer, but Brian Ritchie and Gordon Gaynor are still there, kicking ass. Um, are there bands that you know of who kind of hold that same gender duality, who are kind of throw out the rules of gender? And not just bands, 
glam bands or um you know like a band like dorian electro where it's exploring kind of drag and 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 sexual themes but even from a non-sexual sense are there bands you feel have been able to express themselves i think liz fair is another great example she never felt like she needed to sing like a quote-unquote woman you know, she sang the way she wanted to sing. She wrote the lyrics she wanted to write, and it embodied the, the the totality of being a human. You know, which not every good writer has to do, but a lot of my favorite writers do. You know, um, and funny, just a really quick kind of uh, bit of trivia. They're from Milwaukee, and they were busking. If you don't know what that is, look it up uh, on the streets there, um, and. A guy passed by who was in a band who was playing at an arena that night and liked them so much, asked them to open and do an acoustic set opening for them. And that um, that was The Pretenders. And The Pretenders really helped to launch Violent Femmes' career. Uh, there's, there's my trivia. I don't do much of it, but I thought that was interesting. All right, we're going to get to this, this second part of this... Uh, podcast because I was having some fun making this list. So see if you can guess these famous bands before I get to the name that they finally settled on. They had a lot of trial and error. They couldn't get it right the first time. When they got it right, man, did they get it right. Uh, this one's an easy one if you know music at all. The Quarrymen, Johnny and the Moondogs, The Silver Beatles, dun 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 dun, The Beatles, I started with an easy one. Here's one. I don't know. If you know the band, you might know them. The Pend I tried to go in chronological order, by the way. The Pendletones. Carl and the Passions. That might be a giveaway. Kenny and the Cadets. The Beach Boys. The Detours. The High Numbers. I love that name even. The Who. Uh, the Peptones. Ah. Oh. You know, people have to be glad they changed that. Tom and Jerry, kind of a cool name, if you know cartoons. But they decided to settle and be more natural, I guess, and call themselves Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, here's a list. It makes sense that this list is long because it, the, the list itself is representative of this band, as far as I'm concerned. Sigma Six. Megadeths. No, it wasn't Megadeth. The Screaming Abdabs. Leonard's Lodgers. The Spectrum Five. The T-Set, Pink Floyd. Huh? I, be, I believe probably Sid Barrett came up with the T-Set, but, you know, you'd have to ask him. Well, you know. Favorite band of mine, The Big Thing. This is going to give it away because they became famous under this name, Chicago Transit Authority. Shorten their name to Chicago. A little bit easy. Here's a funny one. The Polka Tulk Blues Band. It's got to be country western, right? Earth Blues Company. Or, you know, I don't know, a little 60s in there. Earth. So maybe it's kind of psychedelic and lovey and trippy. What? Who's this band? Black Sabbath. Yes, they became Black Sabbath. Um, speaking of Earth, Earth. Oh, geez, a lot of people wanted to call themselves Earth. Well, they didn't stick with that. They went with Child. Still not good. They went with Steel Mill because it was about the working man, right? That's a bit of a hint. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Uh, Garden Wall. Dear God. 
Anon. Kind of cool. I like Anon. But they settled on Genesis. First album from Genesis to Revelation. Not religious. Uh, speaking of Genesis, Genesis. Maybe they discovered there was another band by that name and decided to change it to Mammoth, which I think there's another band by that name too. Didn't work out. They got a new lead singer and the new lead singer said, hey, why don't you just use your last name, you two guys, you brothers, and they changed it to Van Halen. Um, Rainbow. There's another, I think, progressive band named Rainbow, which I plan on getting into, uh, you know, soon. Well, relatively soon. Didn't work. Not their style. They were kind of like uh, folky, though, when they were called Rainbow. Wicked Lester, probably closer to their actual style, but they went with the, with the name Kiss from the very borough that I'm speaking to you from now, Queens. Uh, the Army. Whiteheart. Hint, hint. Hocus Pocus. No, we like Whiteheart better. Let's go back to Whiteheart. Nah, that's too long. And we've got these... We've got this awesome female lead singer now who has a sister. Let's change it to heart. Um, this one I like, Malice. So we're in the 70s now, if you haven't guessed. Malice, you know, ooh, sinister. Easy Cure, which, which was a reference to suicide, I believe. They shortened it so that you could be more vague about maybe it's positive, and they went with The Cure. Um, weak heart drops. Psychotic negatives. The Clash. Simpler. Everything about that name is in their music. Uh, feedback. The Hype. Trying a little hard. No, they, they actually did some demos and some live shows with the name The Hype before changing it to U2. Uh... Punk band, this, this bunch of punk New York City kids calling themselves the Young Aborigines. Didn't work out. They switched some things up, changed their name to the Beastie Boys. Uh, here's one which kind of still fits them. Tony Flo and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Changed their name to Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, on a Friday. Oh, kind of esoteric, you know, it could mean so many things and it's sensitive, but it's also very specific, but it's open to interpretation. The record company hated it. So after a few years of playing under that name, after they were signed, they had to pick a different name. They found the name of uh, an old talking head song and put the two words of that song title together and came up with the name Radiohead. Which, which, by the way, if we're speaking about uh, names that come from songs of classic bands, there's a song by Queen called uh, Radio Gaga. That song is where Lady Gaga got her name from. Nothing to do with this podcast. You're welcome. Sweet Children. Sounds very, very sweet. But another band had the name Children, Children in it or something like that. So they changed their name to Green Day. Um, Fecal Matter. I'm going to say that was probably intentional. Uh, then they had a bunch of other names they never really played under, except for they did, I believe, play and do even maybe a rough demo under the name Pen Cap Chew. But neither one was adequate uh, for 
Kurt because he wanted something that sounded uh, kind of the opposite of of the angst and wanted it to be more peaceful and beautiful and so he went with Nirvana. Um, those crazy grunge kids coming up with a name like Mookie Blaylock, which was an NBA star. And I guess it was a joke too. Um, but it was a joke with kind of like an in-your-faceness to it, which makes sense for that kind of music in that, in that era. Mookie Blaylock didn't like it. So they decided uh, to name it after, I forget, like somebody's aunt's, uh, you know, like confection that they made at home. And, and that's where they got the name Pearl Jam. Um, this I just did. A, I just did a podcast on this band. So that's a hint. Mighty Joe Young, name of a movie. But I think it was another band by that name. So that didn't work out. So for some reason, and I didn't know this till recently, they went with the name Shirley Temple's Pussy. Why not? Sure. Why not? You know, she had one and, you, you know, honor it, I guess. I don't know. But that didn't fly. But they kept the initials of Shirley Temple's pussy and changed it to Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, and then, man, yeah, I'm skipping a lot because there's this is only like 20 and there's got to be hundreds. Pectorals. Y you know, what kind of a band? Right? Some hard-ass band who's macho or whatever. Starfish. They went the other way. They said, let's get, you know, let, let's get sensitive. And then that still doesn't, you know, I didn't really capture it. So let's try to find something in between Coldplay. Like it or not. Uh, and then the last one, because why not? Um, there, was a, there was a solo artist back in the 90s by the name of Nick. No relation, actually, yes, relation. Um, who for a while, uh, very, very briefly, had a band uh, that was alternately named either Snow Day or Plan B. And that was going to be the name of the band, but there was a DJ, an, an artist, uh, a, you know, creator by the name of Plan B, which, you know, damn. So we settled on the name Wreck which was an embodiment because, as I might have said, and I know I've said in other podcasts, it represents recreation, meaning having fun, um, recording, of course, because the studio is where magic happens for, you know, for me and for Rec, and Rec as the middle of the word, Rec, W-R-E-C-K, which came from shows, uh, shows that we did way early uh, so, uh, uh, like a fundraising show for a theater company called the Heartbreakers Ball and the tagline for it was get wrecked because there was like a wrecking ball or something on the flyers because we printed flyers back then and that might have been part of the inspiration for that but who knows it all came together and here here we are you know with a crap load of albums after that and more to come um, I hope this uh, trip down name lane was fun for you uh, and that you've learned something about the Violent Femmes and maybe some of these other bands. Thank you, as always, for listening, for watching, for clicking, for sharing, for subscribing, for, you know, donating your DNA, uh, for giving me your NFTs for free. They're a thing. They're a thing. And uh, I appreciate all of it for being a, being a Patreon patron, of course. And um, 
I will talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.